0: Hello and welcome to the Migration Ethics Podcast, a philosophy show about migration and border controls. I'm Kieran Obermann. The UK government is once again promising to get tough on immigration. The Nationality and Asylum Bill, introduced to Parliament by Home Secretary Priti Patel, is designed to make it as hard as possible for people to claim asylum. When challenged, the government likes to talk up its contributions to foreign aid, but what do aid and migration have to do with each other? Well, perhaps the logic is this. There are many people in need throughout the world, and most of them do not migrate. By providing aid rather than admitting migrants, governments can help more people or people in greater need. But do migrants have a special claim to priority? Victor Tadros from Warwick University argues that for the most part, migrants have no special claim. Yet he also insists that he is pro-migration. So what are the relative claims of migrants against others in need? Is there a trade-off between refuge and aid? And does Victor worry about the overlap between his views and those of anti-migration politicians? Hi, Victor. Great to see you. Let's jump
1: right in. So what's the question that your paper is trying to answer? The question is... If you're going to spend some resources on helping people, should you prioritize people who are coming to your country who you can meet their needs by allowing them in? Or should you provide aid abroad and help people in that way? So, should a government policy be one which is more inclined to admit people? Or should it prioritize sending money abroad? Or should it be neutral between those things?
0: And you think that this question of who we prioritise is a really important one for us to address?
1: I think it's important in ideal terms, at least. When it comes to the real world, it has a little bit less importance because the reality is that all wealthy countries fail to fulfil their international justice obligations. And then when it comes to being an activist and encouraging wealthy countries to respond to their obligations in international justice, we might quite reasonably just do whatever works. And so if that means pushing countries to admit more migrants, even if they shouldn't really get priority, because that's easier to achieve than encouraging countries to provide more international aid, that would be okay.
0: And when you say need, do you mean people who are in need because they're persecuted, refugees, or do you mean anyone in need for whatever reason?
1: So I'm looking at the whole range of people who wealthy countries might assist. And so people might migrate because they have health issues, which they can be addressed if they get to a wealthier country. People abroad might also have health issues, which could be addressed by providing them with aid. People who are coming to wealthy countries might come because they're persecuted, or people might be abroad and be in need because they're persecuted. Okay, so I
0: think I've got a handle on the context of the paper. Let's go through some of the arguments. Many people take a special interest in migration. What do you think are the main arguments for awarding
1: migrants priority? Okay, so one thing I think that actually motivates people in the real world is that they see migrants near to us and they see identifiable individuals who are in trouble and in need. Whereas people who are abroad, I think people tend to be a bit less motivated to help because they don't see identifiable individuals. And some people might think that that really matters morally. The fact that we're confronted with someone face-to-face makes a real difference morally, that there really is a moral imperative to save that person when compared with someone who we haven't confronted.
0: And do you think that's right?
1: So I don't think it's right, but I actually don't rely on it being wrong. I just point out that when it comes to setting government policy, The policymakers, at the point at which they're allocating resources to either send those resources abroad or to employ officials to deal with migration and resources to help support migrants coming in, at that point, everyone is not identified and they're all far away or almost everyone is non-identified. So even if you think that these considerations matter, it's a little bit harder to see how they could matter when you're a policymaker deciding how to allocate resources to develop an infrastructure to help people either abroad or domestically, where at that point, you're not dealing with identified individuals who are on your shores, you're dealing with people who are all far away and who are non-identified.
0: That's really interesting. I share your intuition about people's motivations here, because people seem to be most motivated around the subject of migrants when it's someone that they know or someone within their community who's, say, threatened with deportation. And that's when people seem to be most riled up. I guess what you're saying is, even if there was something morally behind that, governments can't act in that way or shouldn't be acting in that way.
1: That's right, because governments are not in that position when they're deciding how to allocate resources, and setting up infrastructure. I, mean, I should say that I think that part of the motivation is just that people will feel very upset if they see someone being harmed. And there's a certain kind of injustice in someone not being in a position that people will, in fact, be upset at their suffering because they're abroad and not identified by us. Anyone who's travelled to a country where there's a lot of poverty will suddenly get a hell of a lot more motivated by suffering abroad than they were before they went, I think, as long as they visit the parts of the country where there is in fact suffering. And then suddenly you begin to think maybe this is an unfairness that the people who are suffering the most and who are in the most need are often also people who are least able to get our attention.
0: So let me try a different argument out on you. Many people are motivated by the needs of refugees in particular. So maybe there's something special about helping people who are suffering persecution as against any other kind of need. Do you agree with that?
1: So my views about this are a little bit complicated. When it comes to helping people who will be harmed if we don't help them, and their harm will be the result of persecution, and we compare those people with people who will be harmed where... Their harm comes from a different kind of source, not because of persecution. I don't think that it makes much difference that the person is persecuted. So here's an example. Suppose that we've got two people who are drowning in front of us. One of those people has been blown into the lake. The other person has been thrown into the lake by someone who's persecuting them. And we think, who should we rescue? Should we rescue the person who's being persecuted or the person who's been blown into the lake? or should we flip a coin between them? I don't think it makes much difference that the person has been thrown in as a result of persecution. I tend to think that in that case, we should flip a coin. And even if it's true that there's something in favour of saving the persecuted person, I don't think it counts very heavily. So if we started to add people, so we can imagine how we could save two non-persecuted people, or one persecuted person, then I think clearly we should save the two Non persecuted people. So, as soon as the numbers become unequal, as they always are in the real world, then I don't think that a person being persecuted makes that much difference. I should also say here that almost everyone who's in need in the world who we can assist is a victim of injustice, and often very serious injustice. Almost everyone who faces health needs, for example, faces those needs because. Their governments have done too little to assist them. And that's often as a result of a background of colonial injustice, injustice by their government, injustice in the international economic system, and so on. And so I really don't think we are picking between people who are victims of injustice and people who are not. We're picking between people who are all victims of injustice of different kinds.
0: Let's try out a third kind of argument. I can imagine lots of people being motivated by scenes of people being deported or Haitians trying to get over the border, being attacked by Border Patrol guards. So isn't there an argument to be made that states should be engaging in that kind of behaviour in particular? When it comes to the dis and needy, there's a a failure to assist, but there doesn't seem to be the same kind of intervention against someone who's in need and trying to assist themselves.
1: So I agree that there may be certain kinds of coercion that it would be wrong to use when you're trying to exclude migrants, even if those people don't have priority and justice would require you to send international aid instead, ideally. I don't really consider that question in the paper. I just assume there are ways of excluding migrants that are not especially harmful. It may be coercive, but it's not harmful. And I don't think the mere fact that we're using coercion to prevent people from accessing resources where they're not entitled to those resources is wrongful in itself.
0: Doesn't that go against lots of intuitions, That people have about not harming people so you're right you can coerce people in different ways and using different amounts of force but let's take a case where you're not inflicting serious harm against someone you're just blocking their path it still seems like you're preventing them from assisting themselves it's not like you're just failing to assist someone else
1: that's right so here's really the crucial issue i think to what extent is it true when people try to come to wealthier countries that excluding those people counts as harming them? Now, I think that in cases where people who are coming into the country are not relying on the resources that are generated by that wealthy country, that argument is quite powerful. And insofar as that's true, people who are attempting to migrate, need to have priority.
0: So tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean by relying on the resources of the wealthy country?
1: So just compare access to land, where the wealthy country has done nothing to generate that as a resource. So imagine people just looking for safe haven, where the way to meet their need is just to provide them with a place to be, because they face threats where they currently are and they just need somewhere to escape from those threats. But they don't rely on any special resources that are generated by the country, such as healthcare resources or roads or jobs or whatever. In that case, I think excluding people who are trying to get in would count as harming those people. However, when it comes to preventing people from using resources that are within the wealthy countries, that would just count as a failing to save. And it's as far as the use of those resources is concerned, where there's two ways of doing it, allowing people to have access to those resources themselves or sending them abroad. I don't think there's anything to choose between those two things morally. So
0: the thought is that if you've produced the good and you prevent someone from accessing that good, then that's just like a failure to give the good to somebody. Is that the thought?
1: That's right. So here's a way of getting at this. Imagine that there's two different ways in which I could produce a good where that good could benefit another person. On the one hand, I could produce the good in a way that allows one person, let's call that person Annie, to have access to that resource themselves. They could just come and get it. Or I could produce it in a way that results in it being sent abroad to another person, let's call that Bert. I don't think there would be any special reason for me to produce the resource in a way that would allow Annie to get the resource herself, when compared with producing it in a way that would result in its being sent to Bert. And that suggests that when it comes to producing it in a way that allows Annie to get it for herself, morally, that doesn't count as a harming. And that's like resources that are produced in a country, I think.
0: Is that really the case? So imagine I create a life support machine and then somebody comes and hooks themselves up to that life support machine and then I suddenly realise oh I could use that life support machine to help more people somewhere else. Are you saying that it would be permissible just to detach that person from the life support machine they're already hooked up to?
1: Yeah, there's a further question. Once they're hooked up, then it's possible that they get special entitlement to the resource. And that's a very controversial question in moral philosophy. But now imagine that I could prevent Annie from getting hooked up in the first place to the life support machine. So imagine Bert needs a life support machine more than Annie. And i produce it in a way that makes it inaccessible to Annie. But Annie, if she could get past the barriers I put around it, would benefit from it. Now I don't think that there's a problem. Now it's perfectly okay, I think, to create it in a way that helps Bert, even though I have to send it to him.
0: If we're applying this distinction to the migration case, would it be between, say, stopping people at the border as opposed to deporting someone who's already arrived?
1: If a person's arrived and assisting their need depends on resources that are in the country, such as healthcare resources, education, and so on. And they haven't started accessing those resources. They're now not in the position of the person who's hooked up to the life support machine. Now, it's possible that once the person stays for a while, imagine the case of illegal migrants who come into the country and who begin to access healthcare and education and rely on those resources. Maybe they're in the position of the person who's actually managed to hook themselves up to the life support machine. And now there's this very controversial question. Is it OK now to tear them away from those resources because those resources are better used for other people? And that's a very difficult question to answer.
0: So we've got the resource of a state's territory, and then we've got the resources that are, in your view, produced by the country. What exactly are the resources that are produced by a country? I could imagine someone thinking everything from cars to the food on our plates, etc., is produced by the economy. But is that the same as saying that it's produced by the country?
1: That's right. Start off with a very simple kind of case where a person produces resources themselves, like me building the life support machine. And that's obviously a very simplistic case, you might think. And now see whether it makes any difference if those resources are produced in lots of different ways. For example, produced by an economy, produced by an international economy, produced by an unjust international economy with the use of colonial power and so on, which is the reality. The reality is that the resources in Western countries are all the result of international cooperation, coercion, exploitation, slavery, and so on over generations. Does all of that complex web of production make a difference to whether migrants are harmed when they're excluded from access to the resources of wealthy countries? And I say it doesn't make any difference.
0: Okay, well, take me through that. Why does it make no
1: difference? The reason why it makes no difference is that we should think of ourselves as in the position of the producers. If I put myself in the position of the producers, what would I be required to do? And I think I would be required to help the greater number. And I think I would be required not to prioritise those people who could get the resource themselves. So when I've stolen the resource, and now I'm deciding whether to allow the person to access it who can get to it, or alternatively to send it abroad, I should think to myself, I just want to help the producers fulfil the obligations that they would have in producing the resource. And their obligations would be to be impartial between these two different people.
0: Okay, I was imagining somebody listening to this and thinking, this is a false choice. This is a typical attack on migrants and free movement is to say, this is bad for people living abroad. But in the real world, migration often has lots of benefits. Most economists think that it produces all kinds of economic gains. There aren't costs. People aren't scrounging from the welfare state. They're working, they're contributing, they're paying taxes, etc. What would you say to somebody who agreed with all the philosophy about questions of what we should do when migration is costly, but say, this is a false choice because migration, for the most part, isn't costly?
1: I mean, both of my parents are migrants. And I don't think they were, in fact, costly to the country. I think a lot of migration is... Not only cost-free but beneficial. So I agree with the idea that more migration would be better for everyone. Maybe not better actually for some of the countries that people leave. So there's a question about brain drain and other things which we could consider. And the empirical questions I think are really difficult about that. But certainly better for wealthy countries I think to allow more migration. So I take it that there's a kind of no-brainer argument for permitting more migrants, whether they're particularly needy people or not. So I'm saying not hostile to migration. I'm a pro-migration person. I want lots of migration. But the question is, once we start to get to the levels where it now becomes costly to host countries, what should we think? And I'm sceptical about the idea that completely unfettered migration will always be beneficial to wealthy countries. I don't think that's true. So I think there will be at least some circumstances in which completely unfettered migration will be harmful because migrants will come in in large numbers too quickly, it will be disruptive to get overcrowding and other sorts of problems. And then this question is going to arise.
0: I've talked about the people who might be resisting your argument, but here's a group of people that might be favouring your argument, and that's people that want less migrants. Donald Trump or right-wing governments that don't want to admit any more people, they might say, it's far cheaper and more effective for us to send aid abroad. We'll just do that. Are you worried about being put in the camp of those people who are anti-migration?
1: I am. So one way to read the paper is it looks like a kind of manifesto for Pretty Patel. And I definitely don't like that aspect of the paper. But it's worth remembering that The governments who claim that it's much more effective to help people abroad are actually violating all of those obligations to help people abroad more egregiously than they are with respect to migration. The UK government cuts its international aid budget from its already paltry amount to an even smaller amount. The idea that they're prioritising helping people abroad and excluding migrants and spending that money on helping people abroad is is farcical. I mean, that's just not the way in which governments who are resisting migration are actually acting. Donald Trump, the same thing. It's not as if international aid was flowing through these right wing governments. Rather, this argument is just used to make people feel better about excluding migrants when really governments are fulfilling neither of their obligations. Now, there's a further question though. What should we say when governments ideally ought to prioritize aid abroad rather than admitting certain migrants? So it would be okay to exclude these migrants on the basis of the fact that the resources that it would cost to manage those migrants and help those migrants were better spend abroad and you could help more people doing that. What should we say when a government does neither of those things? Are the rights of these migrants violated? And I say the rights of the migrants are violated, even though justice wouldn't allow them to be helped.
0: Well, that's super interesting. So take me through that.
1: So here's a way of getting at this. I mean, imagine that I've got some resources and I'm driving along and I crash into someone's car, because my driving is negligent. And I could either use my resources to give to the person whose car I've crashed into, or I could send those resources abroad to help some people who have serious healthcare needs where that will save their lives. Let's suppose that I would be required to send the money abroad to help the person with healthcare needs. Now imagine that I don't do either of these things. And the person whose car I've crashed into says, you're negligent, you should repair my car. And I say, I haven't violated your rights because there were these other people who have priority. They say, well, you're just keeping the money. I say, yeah, yeah, but you weren't entitled to it anyway because it should have gone abroad. So the fact that I've crashed into their car now means I haven't wronged the person when I don't fix it. I take it that it's not plausible that I haven't violated this person person's rights by not fixing their car on the basis of the fact that I could have helped someone else and that would have been okay and similarly I think when it comes to needy migrants if we say look we could have sent the money abroad and helped more people that way and so we're not violating your rights when we don't let you in and they say but you're not actually helping those people so now we're entitled to the money I think we in fact are violating their rights
0: this has been a super interesting conversation so Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for hosting me.
0: Victor Tadros is a professor of criminal law and legal theory at the University of Warwick. His books include The Ends of Harm, Wrongs and Crimes, and To Do, To Die, To Reason Why. The article we discussed is not yet published. I'll link to it on Twitter when it is. Our theme music is by Mark O'Connor. Other music by JSH. Support came from the European Union's Horizon 2020 programme. This is the Migration Ethics Podcast.
1: Thanks for listening.